0: One of the strange things about um, preaching is whenever it's, it's kind of a, there's a, a thing that happens that is both a blessing and a bit of a curse. And that is finding a really, really good resource that you come, speaks to your sermon. And you feel like, tell you what, I'll just pull up a seat and read you the chapter. Um, and that's sometimes what it feels like. I, I've found this great book. And we want to do a little bit of a plug. I hope that's okay. Is that okay with you? It's, it doesn't matter because we're going to anyway. Um, and I'll tell you, this is such a good book. Is he here? Or is it? Where's Matt Smith? Oh, there you are. This is such a good book. Matt Smith has actually finished it. That's how good a book it is. Okay, it's called, God Has a Name. Uh, people were expecting Flippy the Frog. To be honest, they were. No, God Has a Name. It's got a picture in it, actually. Um, It's by a guy called John Mark Comer. Um, It is a brilliant book. Now, this has been a fairly um, interesting and um, piecemeal week. So, um, if the sermon in any way doesn't make any sense whatsoever, I think it's chapter 6 in this book. (laughs) All right? Go and read it. Uh, he's written other books. Scott has a name. He's written one called Loveology, which deals with relationships. Um, he, he does another one called Garden City, which is about um, work, rest, and the art of being human. He has another one which is about his struggle with mental health issues and his breakdown and his coming back to working in the pastorate. So we really recommend John Mark Comer, but like every TV program, other Christian writers are available. Um, we've already warned Cornerstone. Um, Bookshop, the Christian bookshop, to have some copies in. So, go grab your one. This is possibly the best theology book I have ever read. Now, that might put you off, or it might make you think, "Oh, that's interesting." It is one of the most accessible theology books I've ever read. Please, I'm going to have a look. It's over in Cornerstone, but other bookstores do, you know, are available as well. So that's enough of the plugging, okay? Um, So, does anyone remember Top of the Pops? Oh, there's a big enthusiastic, yeah, over here. You know, I used to watch this. I used to watch it on the little TV up in my mum and dad's room because they were watching something really important like, you know, Emmerdale or something. Um, And I was watching this, and there was always that bit that you you went through the songs he didn't like and all the artists, and then it was the top 10. And the top 10 counted down. 10, 9, 8. There was that song you thought we would never get that far, but then 7, 6, 5, and then come down 4, 3, to, and then the fanfares, the lights, the pizzazz, number one. And you realize it's not the song you hoped it would be. We've been doing God's top ten. And now we come to number one. And now we come, after all these weeks, we come down to number one. Or do we? People go, oh no, Phil, what are you going to do now? <laughs> because actually in a lot of um, early interpretations and certainly Hebraic interpretations of the Ten Commandments, actually they're more like ten statements of fact, not suggestions, but statements, and now stick with me here, last week Catherine did commandment number two, well actually this week we're doing commandment number one, but actually in some readings number one and number two are actually together as number twos, and number one is slightly different. Are you with me? Let me read to you what it says. These are the verses in Exodus chapter 20. We just read the Deuteronomy version just a few moments ago. But in Exodus 20, which is the original thing, this is the beginning. And God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, literally out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Number one in some readings is actually I... Yahweh, your God, Elohim, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That's number one. And then number two, you shall have no other gods and no idols. So why is there that reading? Why is that understanding? Why, as we even our reading of it, we go back and number one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Because if we're going through the Ten Commandments, we could have gone the first few and stopped at maybe parents and gone, yeah, we can handle those. They're pretty good life lessons. Let's, let's stop there. We could maybe even go to the Sabbath because it's good to have a break. Oh, yeah, well, we'll have that one. And maybe even the idols bit because priorities are important. So yeah, maybe we could divorce these from God and it'll still be pretty good life lessons. But we cannot do that. We cannot do that. This is not the only part of the commandment. The thing is, God is at the very heart of the commandments. Without Him, they don't actually make sense. Uh, J. John, who wrote the book um, 10, which a lot of this is built on, he says that... um, that God is like the sun and the commandments are like the planets going around. Actually, I think in some ways this this commandment about having no other gods and who God is is like the nucleus of an atom with lots of things flying around it that are held in place by this nucleus. And the nucleus, if you know anything about atoms, defines what the element, what the material is. It's that important that it holds everything else together. Without it, they go flying off anywhere. We have to remember God is central to these commandments. Otherwise, they're just good, popular life lessons. I'll tell you why. It's important because it is God who has acted. It's God who speaks. Notice that. It's not Moses. It is God who is speaking. These are not human rules. These are from God himself. He is at the very heart. And it's God who has rescued them from Egypt, not Moses. And the important thing is that God gives the reason for the ethics behind all this. God is the source of morality. He is the source of right and wrong. Now that's a really important Christian apologetic. Really important. Where does our sense of right and wrong come from? Because the one that we exist with at the moment is that it works best for the majority of people, makes it right or wrong. It's democratic morality. But what if, The majority changes, then the morality changes, whereas God never changes. He is the source of right and wrong. He is the reason why these commandments work. Why is it wrong to kill someone? Well, because it's just really nasty. I don't want it to happen to me or my loved ones. That's one thing. That's about the the promulgation of a species. Why is it wrong? It's because you are robbing someone of a gift that God has given them, the gift of life. Why is it wrong to commit adultery? Because God is faithful and has called us to be faithful. Why is it wrong to to be um, spreading false accusations and lies? Because God is truth and he wants us to be truthful. Without God, these, these are just good ideas. And that is why unashamedly we read through the Ten Commandments. Because God, who God is, is at the absolute center of them. We often think that the Ten Commandments are like a whole list of do's and don'ts. I don't know if you learned them in, pri- in primary school or in Sunday school, uh, and you got a little gold sticker or a sweetie for remembering them in the right order. I love it when you ask a Christian, do you know the Ten Commandments? And they say, yes, I do. And you say, tell me them. And they go, oh, um, I can get eight. <laughs> What's the other two? Okay. We may know them as a list of do's and don'ts, but actually... The way that they are phrased is more akin to an ancient Near East treaty between a king and his people that are going to have this relationship. And at the very start of these, there are loads of these treaties that have been discovered. And at the very start of them, it starts with the person, the king's name, and then what qualifications he has to make these claims on this people. So you notice that. That's why this verse is so important. I, Yahweh, remember that's God's name, You're God. There's a relationship there already. You're God. Before he says, you're my people, he says, I'm your God. And then he says, I brought you out of Egypt. Now, I think getting Israel out of Egypt was a pretty good feat. There were lots of really good pizzazzy things about that, weren't there? The 10 plagues, really good. The column of fire, fab. If I was God, I probably would have started with the whole creation thing. I think that's a bit more impressive. Wouldn't you? Say, so I created everything, so therefore worship me. Why does he start with, I, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage? Well, it's clearly because it's God who has given them freedom. It's God who has given them freedom. Sorry, I keep on forgetting to click the button. So it's clear they've got freedom from Egypt. If you've seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston and the big fake beard, you know he's led the people out of Egypt into freedom. But there's something even bigger going on regarding freedom. God is giving Israel the freedom to choose. The freedom, that's appropriate cheering. (laughs) It's like we rehearsed this. He has given Israel the freedom to choose between him and other people. And that's the freedom that comes with grace and with love. It's one of the greatest gifts and one of the biggest burdens humanity has ever had is freedom to choose. And so you can look at Deuteronomy 30. There are other places where God actually highlights, says, I am putting before you choices, life or death. Choose me, choose the others. You decide. The choice is to be in a relationship with Yahweh and the rest of the commands are what it looks like to be in that relationship or not. The other thing the Ten Commandments are really similar to in the ancient Near East (laughs) is a marriage contract. When we read, you will have no other gods before me, maybe we treat it one of two ways. One, we kind of go, yeah, well, clearly, obviously, God's God, move on. And we ignore the commandment, or we kind of go, "Hmm, no other gods doesn't really fit in our postmodern, cool, hipster, huggery kind of society where everybody's got their own truth and all things matter." It doesn't fit, does it? This exclusivity until you start thinking about a marriage, and if you see what happened at Sinai as the marriage ceremony between God and His people, and He says, "Will you be faithful to Me?" forsaking all others. Because if you're at a wedding ceremony, maybe you're different, but if you're at a wedding ceremony and you come to the bit where the bride and the groom say to each other, "Um, I take you forsaking all others and you kind of go, you're missing out on an awful lot of options there, my friend. (laughs) Really, you should keep them open because there's loads of choices out there. God says, please be faithful to me because I will be faithful to you. I am your God. Please be faithful to me. Have no other gods before me. It puts a different spin on it, doesn't it? This is God saying, please be faithful. And that is repeated throughout the Old Testament, especially in Hosea. We see that it's a love letter from a brokenhearted God to his people who are being unfaithful to him. Now you see why committing adultery is a really potent commandment? Because it reflects this one. You will have... No other gods. The Hebrew word for that is Elohim. No other gods before, besides, apart from, instead of, above me. That's what it means. You'll have no other gods apart from me. It's interesting this commandment assumes that there are other gods. There are other gods out there. And within them, God is saying, choose me. Now, you might have thought, what was that ridiculous plug at the beginning for John Mark Comer's book? Well, it was because I think it's a really good book and you really should read it. But it was also to demonstrate that thing that we have these days, which is other gods are available. Other things are available if you want them. Other gods? Other options? Well, we know about idols, and Catherine spoke about idols last week so brilliantly, but idols are creations. They're representations of wood, of stone, of metal They represent a god or a figure. What they're representing, the god, is what is, is um, restricted in this commandment. Have no other gods. It's because there is a spiritual reality behind these idols. They are not just stone and brick and gold and metal, etc. There is a spiritual reality going on in the background. There are other gods, other Elohim. The other gods are real. Uh, it may be that Israel was surrounded by pantheons, huge groups of loads of loads of gods. They've just come out of Egypt. You just need to go through the British Museum and the Egypt section. There are gods everywhere. Cats, dogs, mice, you know, turtles. They're, they worship anything. And then they've got the big gods and that's just Egypt and they've come out of that society. And he's warning, you're going into another one where there are loads of gods. You're going into the land of the Canaanites, the Ammonites, the Hittites, the Moabites, the Trilobites, the Megabites, and the (laughs) Lightbites. Maybe not those last three. You're going into a land where other gods are worshipped. Other gods, including Chemosh, including Molech, Molech who demanded child sacrifice. Demanded it. Asherah and Ashereth. Fertility goddesses. You read about Asherah poles all over the place. And God saying throughout the time, tear down the Asherah poles. Don't have anything to do with them. They had sacred prostitutes where they did a lot of strange stuff in the worship of their God. We have Marduk. We have Ahura Mazda, which is a car. Um, And then we have Baal which covered a whole pile of fertility and weather gods. This is the land that Israel are going into, and God is warning them, you're going to be distracted. Instead, at the very, very start, have no other gods but me, because there are other dangers out there. This is a reality. You need to be careful. And if we read this commandment and go, yeah, no other gods, we know that there's only one, and his name is God. Actually, we need to know that there are other powers out there. That there are other gods; otherwise, we're playing blind. There's a TV show that started relatively recently on uh, one of the streaming platforms. It's called American Gods. I don't know if anyone's seen it. Great, that's going to be useful. Um, there's the other gods. Sorry, I just thought a picture there. Um, Where's American Gods? There we go. I've got this all in the wrong order. Never mind. American Gods is a story, and the premise of the story is that there's this man called Mr. Wednesday who meets this other guy who's an ex-convict. And the premise is Mr. Wednesday is actually the Viking god Odin. And, and, and the story is all the gods from ancient civilizations are now living at large in America. And they've all got perfect teeth and skin, of course. Um, and the idea is he's trying to gather all the different old gods together because they're all being threatened by the new gods. Oh, thank you. Who was that? That was great. <laughs> Cheers. The new gods. And the new gods are media. New gods are globalization. New gods are technology. And they're the ones threatening the old gods. And the old gods are made up of Odin. They're made up of Vulcan from the Romans. It's made up of an African god. Made up of a Babylonian god. And interesting enough, there's a Jesus there as well. Interesting commentary on how people view Jesus. Jesus. It's just one of the options. That the American gods, this program says that gods are alive and well and living at large in America. Let me tell you, the gods are alive and active even today. And we need to be aware of that. These gods are real. You may be thinking, oh dear, what church have we joined uh, that actually has a minister talking about polytheism like it's something good? No, I don't. But let's be aware there are other powers out there, other gods. That's what they're called In here, and we may think those stories of the gods like Athena and Jupiter and Zeus and and Molech and even the Egyptian gods, they're just myths, they're just stories made up by primitive people. How patronizing! These are the guys who built the pyramids, the Acropolis, and the Colosseum, who give us democracy and science and all the beauty of arts and literature, buildings that are still standing today when some of our car parks are falling to pieces, and we say they're primitive. There's something that was going on behind the scenes of these gods. The puppet masters behind the images. There's a great um, couple of books from the 1980s um, by Frank Peretti. Um, One was called This Present Darkness and another one was called Piercing the Darkness. And it was good. They were really good reads. They were about... Um, What was going on in this small town in America, but at the same time, it was the story of what was going on in the angelic realm, in the spiritual realm. And if you read it too closely, you ended up seeing devils and demons behind every corner. But actually, there was something about the fact that there was this one story where one uh, group were doing some transcendental meditation and they were talking to their spirit guides, and one child had a spirit guide that was a beautiful, beautiful rainbow-colored pony that just was just fantastic. And then your your vision was taken aback by by the author, and you come back and you see that this beautiful, prancing pony was actually a malicious, malevolent, evil, nasty, ugly spirit, being the puppet master, unseen, controlling, And sucking in through what seemed to be safe and attractive. There's a reality beyond what we're experiencing, and this is what this commandment is all about. There are other names for these Elohim along the way sons of God, heavenly beings, princes, lords, powers, rulers, authorities. We read about them in Psalm 86, Psalm 96, Psalm 97, and Psalm 82. If you want to turn to Psalm 82, it's a really interesting one at the very, very beginning. It talks about God, the Elohim amongst the Elohim. The God amongst the assembly of the gods. Maybe keep that open. This might be useful in a bit. Then we have Daniel. And Daniel talks about these uh, princes. He has a, a vision of, of an angel that's which held up because he's been battling the prince of Persia. And he's about to go because there's a battle with the prince of Greece. And we think what, what is this? There are, there are Spiritual beings in charge of areas. John Mark points out that something, he says, here's just a coincidence for you. There's been a huge spate of shootings in America and loads of them were around one particular area in Colorado. And he's saying, could there be something going on in the background there, spiritually, as well as all the other factors? He raises the question, And then Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 8. He says that people talk about lords and gods. Indeed, there are many lords and many gods, but our God is Jesus. And then he blows the whole thing open in 1 Corinthians 10, 19 and 20, whenever he says the sacrifices to idols are sacrifices to demons. The mask is removed and the gods are exposed for what they are. They are fake, counterfeit God's. Whenever I was a teenager, I really loved the aftershave of eternity. I felt so grown up with eternity. I had one small bottle that my uncles brought me from Duty Free one time, and I felt I was proper grown up. It was really expensive, and I sprayed it all the time. Then eventually it ran out, and I didn't have a lot of money. So I bought Forever and Ever, (laughs) which was the cheaper version (laughs) Don't ask me about the the morals or ethics or where it came from. I was only like 15 at the time. And I spread it on and for an instant I smelt like eternity and it stung like bilio. (laughs) And it soon went off and then you just stank of kind of ethanol. Because it was fake. It wasn't the real thing. And these gods are fake. They're not the real thing. This is where punctuation is important. Who, Who enjoyed English at school? (laughs) You sad people. No, well done. Who enjoyed getting their their essays back and and then you think you've done a good job and then look, you didn't put a capital letter there and not a full stop there. She, the English teacher here is going, yes, I love the thought of that. (laughs) This is where God is important. Punctuation is important because there's no capital letters in the Old Testament. So Elohim among the Elohim God is very rarely called God in the Old Testament. He's always qualified with his name or something which shows him. Notice, every time you read the Old Testament, when it talks about God, it says the Lord God. That L-O-R-D in capital letters means Yahweh. Or maybe God Almighty. God of the Most High, Most Exalted God. It points out this Elohim, is, he's the Elohim. He's the God amongst the gods. and They are not equal. Punctuation matters. They're always saying that Yahweh is the real God. Others are poor imitations. And the relationship between Yahweh and these other gods is a hostile one. From the very, very start, when one of these false gods, Elohim, princes, powers, or principalities, Satan, tries to rob God of his rightful place, not only as king, but as our king, our God. Rob him from the position of relationship with us. And that has been the MO, the modus operandi, the reason for being for every false god from the dawn of time. Rob God, the real Elohim, from his position in regards to humanity. Rob it or warp it, distort it, change it. Anything that will stop it being real for people. And what is God saying? I am your God. I'm the one who gives you freedom to choose. So choose me in return. And this is what it looks like. This hostility, this war is the one that's been going on for eons and which we have been dropped into. And we don't know all the answers, where they all came from. We don't know all the battles that have been fought. We have dropped into this battle. And let me tell you, we are in a spiritual battle that has been going on through the ages. Now, we may be saying, well, well, okay, some people suggest that demons only came about in the New Testament. That it was discovered by Israel when they were in Babylon. Actually, no, there were demons, but they were just called Elohim in the Old Testament. Other gods. This battle is going on through the entirety of the eons. We want to see it. We see it in Exodus 7 where Moses goes into Pharaoh's court and he says, set my people free. Here's a stick, throw it down, becomes a snake. He says, that's nothing. Pharaoh calls his magicians in, his magicians, his priests of the gods. They throw their staffs down, they become snakes as well. Moses' snake swallows up the others. They do other things and they replicate what Moses does until it gets to flies. Apparently they have problems with flies. I don't really know what that says. But in Exodus 12 and Numbers 33, God says, I judge the gods of Egypt. The ten plagues sound like random kind of ecological tricks that God pulls. Actually, if you look, each, nearly all of the ten plagues are an assault on one of the areas of an Egyptian god. The sun god, Ra, was a major god in Egypt. And what does God do? He blots it out. Osiris. Is the God of gods. Horus, the God of the underworld. Anubis, the God of death. What does God do? I'll tell you who's going to die and who's going to live. I will bring this people out. So at the very, very start when God says, I am Yahweh, your God. I have brought you out of Egypt. That is a loaded statement. That is saying, I am bigger than all those gods. I have brought you out of their power. You are free. Is that not just a picture of what the gospel is? You are free from the power of the old God. Not the old gods, the false gods. You are free to choose for yourself. And God gives us that choice in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He gives it to Israel and says, I I give you a choice today. Choose me and you'll have life. Choose someone else, it'll lead to death. You might go, that's a fairly easy choice to make. If you were offered it, you'd probably go, I'll have box number one. (laughs) But Israel didn't. Again and again and again throughout the entirety of Scripture. I've been doing the Bible in one year. I've been reading Deuteronomy, Leviticus. The stuff that you kind of pretend doesn't exist when you're reading through the Bible. And you kind of go, oh, I've finished Genesis. Let's go to Psalms. <laughs> the rest is a bit complicated. Actually, going through it has been astonishing how many times God again and again and again says, don't mix with the other nations because they will lead you astray. You will end up sacrificing to other gods. You will become unfaithful again and again and again. And what do we see? There's a story about um, an Irish man who went to see a John Wayne movie. And uh, he went to see it one time with his mates. And then he went back another three, four, five, six times. And his mates said, why do you keep on going back to see that John Wayne film? And he says, it's because every time I go back and I see John, he gets on his horse and he falls off again. One of these times he's gonna stay on. (laughs) Thanks for laughing, it's one of my dad's favorite jokes. Um, they keep on repeating the same mistake again and again and again. Solomon, the wisest man in Israel, what does he do? He intermarries and it says towards his reign, he starts putting up Asherah poles and other gods and goddesses. Solomon. And these have consequence, they lead to death and destruction. In Psalm 82, which is what I said, keep a lookout for. God amongst the other gods, it then describes what are the results of following the other gods injustice, wickedness, persecution, famine, starvation, all the things that we want to operate against, that God wants to operate against, come from these following of other gods. Because we are in a war, which means there are going to be casualties. Here's the story of the other gods. Well, the story of the, of the other gods is you, you do your best. You keep us happy and everything will be all right with you. It's an extortion racket really. You keep on following these rules and eventually you'll get up to the top of the mountain. Often we treat Christianity like that as well. Like God's at the top of the mountain and we've got to get up there. What is the difference between Yahweh, the God of God's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, what is different between him and the others? Well, it's very simply this. God turns the mountain upside down and he says, you can't come to me, but you know what? I'm gonna come to you. That's what singles God, the real God out from all the others is the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus comes down to us. He comes down. That's one of the best things that John Mark writes in his book. He says, this is God who has come down the mountain to us in order that he can bring us up to God. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that good news? We've been, as I said, studying um, Mark's gospel as part of Roots. And what people have realized by going through every chapter, and we're only up to about chapter five or six, are the number of demons that there are. There are loads of them. And when you start looking, you see them in Mark, in John, and Matthew, and Luke. Like Jesus comes face to face with demons all the time. That it's really a massive part of his ministry. Why? Because of this reason. In 1 John 3 verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the evil one. The reason Jesus is here, destroy the work of the evil one, and is ultimately seen by a lifeless body hanging from a wooden crossbeam where it looks like, for all intents and purposes, all the little gods have won. And then, three days later, we'll celebrate it next Sunday. The world is upside down. Because the Son of Man, raised to life again. Even the God of death couldn't hold him, because he is no God at all. Jesus is victorious it's one of the earliest understandings of what the cross is about we know that jesus took our place but for 1500 years christus victor jesus the winner was one of the biggest understandings of the cross and we read about it in colossians having made an open spectacle of their powers and authorities he displayed them for what they were by defeating them by the cross And what does that mean it's because the gods are all about get 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 what can we get from you and jesus is all about give 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 we live in a universalist time when there are so many options out there. And the danger is, like Israel, that we don't have a choice between God and another God. We, have a, we often have a choice of God mixed together with them. Okay, it's not a stark one or, one or the other. We introduce, and that's what Israel did. They introduced other gods into the worship of Yahweh. And we are at the danger of that as well. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I have a friend who refuses to write birthday cards saying all my love because they go, that's not correct, I've got love for other people as well. It's beautiful, I love it. But God's demand is I want all of you because I've given all of me to you. And then Jesus takes it on. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that culminates all of these 10 commandments. Love God with all you've got. He is your God. And then from that, love other people. And this is what it looks like. Joshua, as they were just about to go into the promised land, they renewed the covenant. And he says, there is a choice. And he said, regardless of what you do, regardless of what everyone else chooses, I and my household will serve the Lord. That is a choice every one of us still has. We may say, yes, God, we follow you, but actually there are loads of gods out there that are vying for our attention, who are trying to put us down. Even talking to someone just a moment ago, he said, I've made a concerted effort to read my Bible more, and we have had the most horrendous week. Because the enemy does not want you to have God in his rightful place, which is God and Lord in relationship with you. He is the Lord, your God, who has brought you out of bondage. And so in response to that, have no other gods but him. Amen.